Hey everyone, this is Alfredo Brown with the Pretend GM here at Football Guys. And well, instead of doing an episode this week for the Pretend GM, I figured let's do a crossover episode with Dave Kluge in the Launchpad. Dave is always coming over onto my show. I always go onto his show. And recently this week, we had an awesome episode where he brought on JJ Zacharyson and we talked about weird kind of ambiguous situations on NFL teams, whether it's which wide receiver should you get on the Jacksonville Jaguars when you're in your fantasy drafts or which Miami Dolphins running back is going to be the player to roster. This was a really awesome episode. I thought it's a really unique way to look at things. And honestly, this is the kind of content I wanted to make sure that my audience is getting as well. So strap in, get ready for this crossover episode of the pretend GM and the Launchpad. Is Calvin Ridley or Christian Kirk the wide receiver that you want to draft in Jacksonville? That and so much more on today's episode of the Launchpad. JJ, start us off. Who are you drafting from the Jaguars? Look, I think that you can actually go in both directions here. Um, you know, I don't mind where, where either goes per se. Uh, my projection straight up like Calvin Ridley more than, than Christian Kirk. Uh, I think he's fine enough where he goes. Um, but I do think that we have to be realistic about the fact that when he suits up to play, you know, when September hits... Uh, it's going to be almost two years since his last real football game. Uh, that's, a, that's a little bit frightening. Um, and then you look at Christian Kirk. You know, I think Kirk, from a value perspective, where he gets drafted is the better pick between the two. Uh, but I can understand going either direction. But, uh, you know, I do a lot of work with market trends. I'm going to be bringing that up a lot on today's show, I'm sure, uh, where I look at historical ADP and I look at how players uh, perform uh, based on that ADP and, you know, so how middle round wide receivers have done historically versus ADP expectation, I call it. So every single point in a draft uh, has some sort of expectation based on a player's ADP. So let's say that Christian Kirk is going 60th overall, 60th overall wide receivers would be expected to score. Let's say this is just completely arbitrary. Let's say 12 PPR points per game. And so historically, if a player gets 13 points per game, then he's playing one point above expectation. And so you can then look at trends based on these, these, uh, based on what the market has said historically to sort of spot, uh, you know, where there might be some value in those middle rounds and those early rounds and those late rounds. Um, and, and one thing that's pretty interesting is with middle round wide receivers, we generally see, if you look at a, a career year for these guys, we usually see rookies, second year guys, and then fifth and sixth year guys do very, very well. Now, I know that a lot of people are like, why would fifth and sixth year guys do well? I think a lot of it is uh, they're unsexy names. You know, uh, they're, they're players who uh, they've been around for a while, but they're still good enough to be middle round picks, right? They're still, uh, you know, very reliable wide receivers seemingly. Um, and then also, you know, fifth and sixth year when wide receivers might see a change of scenery where they, they, uh, their rookie contracts are up. Uh, they might go to a different team. Uh, and then there's a lot more ambiguity. And what I found with my research is uh, drafters don't like ambiguity. They don't like it when we don't have substance behind a player's uh, past and, and, and they don't have a backbone. So, you know, a lot of times that's why rookies are, are great values in redraft leagues is because people don't like that th those question marks surrounding those guys. And so fifth and sixth year guys do really, really well, which this led me to Christian Kirk last year, led me to Juju Smith-Schuster last year too, but a 50% hit rate, I'll take it, right? <laughs> uh, so Christian Kirk now in his sixth year, you know, he had almost a 24% target share per game last season. He's going to play a lot in the slot uh, with Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley on the perimeter. He's going to get softer coverage there, which I like. And they're probably going to run a lot of three wide sets just given the, the, the uh, personnel they have uh, on that team. I think we're all expecting a jump 
uh, from Trevor Lawrence and from this offense in general. You know, there's a lot of good trends also with the market where if you have multiple early-ish round pass catchers, uh, that's good for for an offense in terms of, of touchdowns per game in that season. So I like the Jags. I like the offense this year. And I think that Christian Kirk, given his price tag, is just a little bit more of a value than Calvin Ridley. Agree with everything you said there. And it seems like right now everyone seems to kind of be saying Calvin Ridley is the ceiling pick. Christian Kirk is the floor pick. Do you kind of agree with that, or do you think that there is kind of an untapped ceiling? I mean, we saw Christian Kirk, like you said, drawn targets at an obscene rate last year, scored a lot of touchdowns, and even with Calvin Ridley there, he's probably still going to be on the field for close to 100% of the snaps. So do you think that Christian Kirk still has a ceiling, or is that cap now with Calvin Ridley there? I think we often, as fantasy managers, sort of get the idea of floor and ceiling wrong a lot. Uh, you know, we, we use it sort of as a crutch uh, whenever we don't know what a situation is going to look like. And we don't know what the situation is going to look like for Calvin Ridley. So hypothetically speaking, sure, he has a better ceiling than Christian Kirk. But I think that downplays how good Christian Kirk is as a player. Uh, you know, you don't get a 24% target share per game rate uh, by being a bad wide receiver. It happens only to, to good players. And he was a good prospect coming out, obviously had some issues in Arizona at times, uh, but, you know, was able to get some volume in Arizona whenever he was there. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, we, we often mislabel that and, and, and it can get us into trouble because we then think that a guy like Kirk is more of a floor play and not a stealing play. He's not, he can't be a league winner. But if you're looking at where these guys are being drafted and if you, if you look at ADP expectation and how these guys exceed ADP expectation, you'd be surprised by the kind of players that end up being more breakouts, uh, you know, based on that uh, than, than the guys who we think are, are these high ceiling players. For the record, I knew that's how you were going to answer it. I just thought that that would be a really good thing to talk about right here because we do get it wrong all the time. I mean, just look back at 2021. Nobody wanted Debo Samuel because he didn't possess a ceiling. They said he's, uh, you know, a low ceiling, high four, boring player, not going to be on any. And, it, you know, it, it did take a few kind of wild instances to push him into that Debo role, but he was a league winner that you ended up getting in the eighth or ninth round that year, and nobody wanted him because he didn't possess a ceiling. Well, he scored 21 points per game that year, so that ceiling did in fact exist. Alfredo, same question over to you, though. We're talking about Christian Kirk and Calvin Riddle here. Do you have a strong stance between the two? Who do you prefer? Yeah, I don't have a super strong stance. I'll just be honest, right right out of the gate here. I, I really I want to believe in Calvin Ridley because I love his talent. I think he's such a good player, and him being attached to Trevor Lawrence, just it seems like a really good match. You know, the Jaguars had a pretty high neutral pass rate last season. I expect that to continue with Doug Peterson. The thing is here, and just to kind of uh, – JJ mentioned, you know, looking at the ADPs and the values associated with those draft positions. I mean, even just from a more macro level, you take the 1,000-foot view and you look at – well, if Calvin really is going in the third round, who are the other players going around him? And I see guys like Brees Hall, Lamar Jackson. Even if I want to look at another wide receiver like Amari Cooper, uh, who I, I think is a bit safer, those are guys I'd probably rather go with. And then you start to jump into, you know, more so of, of fantasy theory and draft theory. What are you doing early on in drafts? And I tend to stay a little bit more risk averse in my first three rounds. And that's why I probably wouldn't lean towards a guy like Calvin Ridley. And, you know, the whole thing is, is with his cost, the boom bust nature of this season, right? We talk about him not playing for two years and how good he could be or, or what a bust he could be, right? Like that is the pick that could literally make or break your fantasy team. You don't typically find there's one guy that could do that, but being drafted that early and, and having that kind of production or lack thereof could absolutely make or break your team. Whereas if I have to choose, I absolutely have to choose one of these guys, I'd go with Kirk in the, in the fifth round, if I'm being honest. But I'm probably not drafting a lot of Jaguars this season. I, I think their offense is going to be good. I think the team as a whole is going to be good. 
Uh, but the cost feels inflated because everyone is everyone is kind of accounting for the Trevor Lawrence jump, but we really don't know where all those points are going to go to. So I'm just kind of letting it happen and seeing where the chips fall, but I don't know that I'm necessarily investing in a lot of Jaguars in my fantasy drafts. Yeah, and a lot of times you see young quarterbacks really like hyper-target and fixate on one player, and you didn't see that last year with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he was dishing it to Zay Jones and Marvin Jones and getting Evan Ingram going at the end of the year. So I don't think there's going to be a clear-cut wide receiver one here. I think the interesting thing, though, again, going back to the floor and ceiling debate, if you look at so many projections on all different websites, many of them favor Christian Kirk, but then when you're looking at ADP, Kelvin Ridley's the favorite there because I think people have kind of tricked themselves into thinking that he has a much higher ceiling. So I don't want to put words in either of your mouth because I think we all kind of bounced around the question a little bit, but I personally prefer Kelvin, or I'm sorry, Christian Kirk, especially at cost, and I think that you guys kind of kind of fall there as well. But um, yeah, you know, the Jaguars offense is going to be a tough to predict one this year, and uh, Alfredo, at some point this offseason, we'll have to have Dr. Vig back on just so we can talk about the Jaguars offense because it's going to be a fun one. But anyway, I want to welcome everybody into episode 73 now of the Launchpad, which you can find on all Football Guys channels. Today I'm joined by J.J. Zacharyson and Alfredo Brown, and we are going to be talking about some ambiguous teammate situations. So obviously, JJ, you talk about ambiguous backfields a lot and trying to find the edge there. We're going to talk about a few wide receiver situations to start the show, and then we will talk about some running back situations. But before we get into that, JJ, let everyone know where they can find you on social media, your Patreon, all that fun stuff that you're working on. Yeah, uh, on uh, Twitter at late round QB, and then my my website uh, late round fantasy football is at LateRoundFantasyFootball.com. Got a draft guide that's that's coming out in a week um, that I'm really pumped for. A lot of the market related stuff I'm talking about today, uh, you know, will be in that. Uh, and then there's a Patreon, you know, email newsletter that's free, my podcast, all that good stuff. So it's LateRound.com. Yeah, I took that bet on yourself last year, and it seems to be working out for you. So awesome to see. You know, uh, a lot of people try to go that route, and it's it's tough to do. But if anybody was uh, built to do it on their own, it would be you, JJ, and just absolutely crushing it. Love to see it. Alfredo, no stranger to the show. I think this is the uh, fourth or fifth time that we have uh, connected on this show so far this offseason. But for anybody tuning in for the first time, let them know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Pretend GM, and all my work is it's just, it's here, it's here. If you're watching or listening here, it's here. Football guys, that's that's where you're gonna find everything. Yeah, youtubecom slash guys. That's where you can find all of our content. In addition to this show, you can find Alfredo on the Pretend GM. You can find Sigmund Bloom and Cecil on the Audible. You can find Sigmund on the couch. Who actually, JJ, you were just there a couple of days ago talking about some Boomer Bus players. I believe was the topic. I don't know. We have so many shows coming out right now. It's hard to keep track, but great show. So definitely recommend checking that out. Um, and then if you're listening on a podcast form right now, please help us out and leave a review. That's going to help grow more than anything else. So whether you like or dislike the show. Leave me one through five stars. Let me know what you think, and I will take that to heart for future episodes. But anyway, let's get back into the meat of the show. We already talked about Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk, and that is one of the more polarizing discussions of this offseason. But there is another one that is just as polarizing, and we're looking at the ADP between these two players on underdog. One is going as wide receiver 32. One is going as wide receiver 33. They're going back-to-back in drafts. Alfredo, start us off here. Jackson Smith Najigba at wide receiver 32. Tyler Lockett at wide receiver 33. Who do you prefer? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm giving you a couple of stinkers here to start. I don't have a super strong opinion on this one either. This feels a lot like it just it. I have to be honest, too, right? Like, I'm not just going to spit out a hot take just to do it because the, the, the Seahawks offense, it feels a lot like the Jaguars where on paper, it should be better if Geno Smith continues to play well. And they added Zach Charbonnet, they added uh, JSN, they've added all these weapons. A uh, young offensive line gets better. But 
we just we really don't know where all these fantasy points are going to go to. And so if, if we're looking at these two guys individually, uh, I think I just I kind of want to break it down this way. You know, you look at Tyler Lockett. He had the seventh most snaps in the slot last year, and he looks like he'll be moving outside in 2023. Doesn't mean he won't be productive, but it, it's a relevant change. It's something that's going to be a little bit different that he hasn't done in years. Now Lockett can play outside. He started his career out there, but. Uh, over the last five seasons, he's been used in the slot anywhere from 41 to 69% of the time. Nice. Uh, but those five seasons in the slot were best of his career. Like he, He's been really good there. That's where he's made his money. And now Jackson Smith and Jigba comes in, kind of takes over that role. And we saw that Gino was targeting Tyler Lockett from the slot so much last year. But I don't think that we've ever really had that big uh, career sample size where we can say, yes, Gino typically targets the slot, or was he just out there looking for Tyler Lockett a lot, and was that his, you know, his tendency? So uh, I, I can't tell you one way or another. I do think that you know we've seen rookie wide receivers be incredibly productive. Jackson Smith and Jigba is very, very talented. There is a reasonable belief he could end up actually being the target leader on this team as a rook as a rookie. Um, so I do like both guys. But if, you know, gun to my head, I have to pick one of them. I'm more likely to bet on the guy who's just a little bit cheaper. And he's been a top 15 fantasy wide receiver each of the last five seasons. So, it, you know, if I have to do it, yeah, at the cost, I'm going with Tyler Lockett. Uh, in reality, I think I'm more likely to stay hands off of Seahawks skill players and probably just target Geno Smith as one of my late round QBs. Sorry, JJ, I kind of took that from you. <laughs> I think that's a, a perfectly fine answer. And I mean, when you look at DK Metcalf as well, getting drafted right now as wide receiver 15, we are expecting uh, Geno Smith to either have a hyperfunneled offense through just those three or to have a wildly productive season. I think one of these guys, whether it's DK Metcalf at wide receiver 15 or JSN or Tyler Lockett at 32 or 33, somebody's going to come up way short of their ADP. So JJ, throwing the same question over to you, JSN or Lockett, do you have a strong, strong stance between these two? Yeah, look, you know, one of the things that I think is really, really important is that underdog ADP is is an outlier, uh, just in terms of like the way that that folks are drafting wide receivers, and in particular, uh, how sharp people are in drafting. You know, I mentioned the rookie wide receiver stuff earlier. That's based on my fantasy league data. It's it's you know basically home league data. You know that kind of stuff. Um, whereas we're getting sharper ADP from, from a place like underdog. If you look at like expert rankings across the space, if you look at other platforms, you're seeing a much wider gap here and you're seeing Tyler Lockett a lot higher than Jackson Smith and Jigba, because from a projection standpoint, that's what happens whenever you start plugging this stuff in is that Tyler Lockett looks a lot better than JSN does, but a lot of the market-related trends favor Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's a rookie. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, he's, he's someone who, who has a, a great backbone as a prospect. Um, you know, these rookies are just generally really good bets in the middle rounds, not just because they exceed ADP expectation from a season-long perspective, but they're also better during the second half of the year generally, and, and that's when the fantasy playoffs hit. That's when these tournaments hit, uh, and that's when it's most important. So I'm actually of, of the belief that, you know, I've done a lot of research, especially this offseason. I'm going to be doing a, a show on this pretty soon. But, um, you know, where I'm looking at the market and I'm looking at where players are drafted by team um, and I'm, I'm finding trends based on how those teams then score in terms of touchdowns per game. And so if you get multiple top 36 wide receivers, let's say, and a top 12 tight end and a top 12 quarterback, all of that combined uh, can, can tell you if a team's going to be good in terms of offenses, uh, offensive touchdowns per game or not. And actually, there's some iterations, where a lot of iterations, that predict touchdowns per game better than previous season touchdowns per game. Um, and so if you're looking at the market from that perspective, 
and you see that Seattle has these this trio of pass catchers that are going fairly early, you know, top 36, top 40 wide receivers. Um, that's that's good news for that that offense. I think that, you know, Alfredo nailed it when saying that if you are going to opt to not go for these guys, which is reasonable, you know, like obviously there's a lot of ambiguity here. Geno Smith is the obvious value uh, on that team. I mean, he's going a lot of times you can get him at like QB 14, QB 15. Uh, and, and he's got these pass catchers that are going so early. That's generally a sign that a guy's going to exceed ADP expectation. We saw that like with Alex Smith back when he was the chiefs quarterback, uh, the one year that he broke out is a very, very, or, or Jay Cutler, even uh, when he had Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey, when they were going early and Cutler was going really late, but why was he going so late? And then he ended up being a decent fantasy asset. So um, I, I really do like the call out of Geno Smith, but you know, this is one of those situations too, where we can't ignore the variance of, of football and, and what I mean by that is, is as the season goes on, there's a chance that one of these guys gets hurt, right? And there's going to end up being uh, a clearer path to these guys seeing a 25%, you know, an elite target share because all of these guys are very, very good wide receivers. And so, yeah, I'm not saying like, oh, bet on Jackson Smith and Jigba because Tyler Lockett's going to get hurt or bet on Tyler Lockett because JSN's going to get hurt. But I'm saying that's part of their range of outcome here. And it's nice that there are two other players that can really impact that instead of one for them to really elevate their fantasy production. So I'm I'm in the camp that I'm drafting these guys. I'm not getting them both on the same team or anything like that. Uh, but I think that they're both values and I like them both more than drafting DK Metcalf in the third round. Yeah, so to sum it up, I mean, just bet on the talent, and all of these players are talented, and situations can change often. You talk about injuries, but also we've heard rumors for years now about Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf both being on the trade block. So if JSN comes out and is immediately playing at a high NFL level, it's more likely that one of those guys does get traded in season. So really, all these guys are good bets, but I think, uh, again... I, Alfredo, I don't know how many times we've talked about it this offseason, but yeah, by Gino is what we keep saying. That's the guy you want to draft more than anybody here. You can like, you know, focus on the last few weeks when you saw a dip in efficiency, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, Gino is the real winner here, especially with them bringing in Charbonnet to what was already a pretty good backfield. It's going to be a fun high-flying offense in Seattle. I want to talk about one more wide receiver situation here, and this is another one. They aren't all going inside the top 40, but Quentin Johnson is just outside at wide receiver 42. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, though, are the ones that I think that we should focus on here. Keenan Allen's getting drafted as wide receiver 19. Mike Williams drafted as wide receiver 24. And then, like I said, we've also got Quentin Johnson on the outskirts at wide receiver 42. JJ, start us off here. Between these two guys, is there one that you prefer over the other, or is this a situation where you're kind of passing on both and waiting for the rookie? So I, I really like the Chargers offense this year, uh, you know, with Kellen Moore going over there. And, and I think that this one actually is probably the most clear cut for me uh, of the of the uh, situations that we're analyzing on wide receiver, because I'm, I'm in on the, uh, the Keenan Allen uh, pick here. Uh, you know, there's not a huge, huge gap in terms of positional rank between these two guys. Um, and I know that he's getting up there in age and that's going to uh, affect the way that people are viewing things. But Mike Williams kind of is, too. I mean, it's not like Mike Williams is 23 or 24 years old. Uh, obviously, Williams has had uh, his issues throughout his career staying healthy. Um, but but Keenan Allen last year, yeah, he, he wasn't healthy uh, throughout last year. But when he played, he saw over 23 percent of their targets per game. It's going to be an offense that probably plays a little bit more up tempo, throws the ball down the field a little bit more. That, that a dot's probably gonna be a little bit better uh, but then on top of that uh, you know they're gonna be probably more of a pass heavy team and so all of that combined uh, if he continues and maintains that 23 percent target share that's gonna be a lot of volume for Keenan Allen if he's healthy and then if you look at his peripheral numbers some more of, the, of his peripheral numbers um, he didn't really see a drop off I mean his yards per route run was still uh, in line with what he's seen historically you know there's really no reason to believe that Keenan Allen uh, is ready to, to just tank right um, and then you mentioned Quentin Johnston. 
Uh, you know, him as a prospect, obviously more of a perimeter guy or can play the perimeter. They're going to throw him on the perimeter, stretch the field a lot. Keenan Allen playing 64% of his uh, or running 64% of his routes last year from the slot. I think he'll he'll be there uh, maybe even more permanently this year with Johnson because they haven't had that true, you know, third guy in that offense for so long. They've been trying to, but they just haven't been able to get him. Uh, and then, you know, so, so I think that Quentin Johnson is much more of a threat to Mike Williams than he is to Keenan Allen. I think Allen has a locked in role in that offense. He's going to be on the field in both two wide receiver and three wide receiver sets. And in those three wide receiver sets, you know, if they're looking to the perimeter, they're going to look to either one of those guys, whereas the slot is going to be all Keenan Allen. So I'm very confident, uh, you know, in, in Keenan Allen's floor and ceiling, really, uh, within this offense. I'm not super concerned about his age at this point. Uh, so I'm going to go Keenan Allen over Mike Williams here. So I don't disagree with you, but you were very quick to just kind of dismiss Keenan Allen's age. And you look a lot at historical trends. Typically, I mean, he, he's 31 years old now and obviously not getting any younger. And we, we usually don't see wide receivers still producing at an elite level there. I just saw this recently, actually. We've only seen, since 2019, we've only seen one wide receiver over the age of 30 with a top 24 finish, and that was uh, 2019 Julian Edelman. So we're seeing a lot of these guys now, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, getting up there in age. Just curious, for somebody who spent so much time looking at historical data, why you're so quick to just dismiss the fact that he's 31, especially when we saw injuries last year starting to catch up to him a little bit? Is that really the only thing that would throw you off would be potential injuries? You think that if he's healthy, he'll just still be the same Keenan Allen? Yeah, look, the other thing too, yes, uh, but but I also think the other thing with a guy like Allen, that archetype tends to be able to, like you mentioned Julian Edelman as the one player that sort of bucked that trend. Uh, Julian Edelman was a was a, a route running machine, right? And and that's exactly what Keenan Allen, that, that that's his game. That, that like that is what he does. He's not. He's never been and fast. On the <laughs> yeah, he's, ne he's never been physical. It's usually the physical guys that I'm more concerned about. It's the guys like Des Bryant hitting that wall or Kenny Galladay even hitting that wall. And they usually hit that wall earlier. And then a player like Keenan Allen, he's already done what he did last season, you know, from a yards per route run perspective and such uh, at a fairly old age. So he's already becoming sort of semi uh, outlier-esque. You know, it's sort of like a Larry Fitzgerald type situation where they moved him to the slot more permanently down the stretch through the end of his career. And he was still fairly fantasy relevant until finally the market caught up. So I think given the fact that the market is showing us what it's showing us, that he's ranked where he's being ranked, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's final season, he was still like a ninth, 10th round pick or whatever. Um, but, you know, you could, you could start to see him trail off a little bit in terms of the way that the masses and the public were viewing him. I just don't see that right now with Keenan Allen. Maybe it comes next year. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I still have faith just given his archetype and the way that he plays football. I still have faith in him. And everything you just said about Keenan Allen, just rewind this show 12 minutes and apply that to Tyler Lockett as well, because he's yeah. also getting up there in age, but the same exact, you know, just a technician as a route runner, great at avoiding contact, going down before he takes that big hit. So Tyler Lockett's another guy that is technically over that scary age of 30, but his play style should bode well for an extended career. So Alfredo, back to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I saw you nodding along a lot with yep. everything JJ was saying, so I don't think you're going to disagree with him here, but let's hear why you prefer Keenan Allen over Mike Williams. Yeah, I echo a lot of the same sentiments from from JJ. I'm going to try not to repeat a lot of the same stuff, but it, this is to me, this is just a much easier matchup looking at the two of them, one versus the other. I mean, Mike Williams has finished as a top 30 wide receiver once in the last four seasons, even if you account and change it to half PPR for a guy who doesn't catch you know a high volume of targets. Uh, we're Keenan Allen. He's been a top 14 wide receiver in five of the last six seasons. So yeah, unless we expect a really sharp drop off or, you know, some, we, some sort of crazy injury that we can't predict. He, he's a guy that's probably going to, you know, return value on what his average draft cost is. Whereas 
Mike Williams almost seems to have never done that. He consistently gets drafted as a wide receiver too, and rarely ever returns that kind of value to you. Uh, you mentioned JJ mentioned the uh, addition of Quentin Johnson, and yeah, that does hurt. Uh, Mike Williams a bit more than it does Keenan Allen and we've already seen what a slot wide receiver which is what where Keenan Allen's going to play what that looks like in a Kellen Moore based offense you know they took CeeDee Lamb and put him in the slot and you talk about CeeDee Lamb getting 156 targets last year and you know he's been doing that throughout his career in the slot there in Dallas. And then Keenan Allen's been doing the same. He's been anywhere from 136 to 157 targets over the last uh, four or five years. So yeah, I think it's very reasonable to believe that Keenan Allen continues to get a high volume role in this offense, uh, an offense that's going to pass more, an offense that, like JJ mentioned, is going to pass a bit further downfield. So now those targets become even a little bit more valuable. There's probably going to be a bit more points too. So you know you can still see some scoring opportunities for Keenan Allen. Uh, and you know, just a you know, fun thing that I saw on Twitter yesterday i can't remember who said it i, I wish i could get the credit but uh, uh last year from week 11 on keenan allen was the wide receiver three in fantasy points per game so you know it, it, it kind of goes back to we always think of these high volume guys as being such a safe floor but he, he kind of displayed there's a pretty good ceiling there for for quite a bit of time as the season went on and um it's sort of the opposite of what jj said how rookies get better as the season goes on we're seeing an old dude who was dealing with injuries that looked better as the season went on. So I think that, you know, if you were looking for some solace that the age may not catch up with him, I think that's it right there. And I think another important piece of context here is, again, we talked about it earlier that we're using underdog rankings here. So right now, Mike Williams getting drafted at wide receiver 24 on underdog. Realistically, he's probably not going to go that high when you're drafting in your home league because he's not a guy you want to draft as your wide receiver two and confidently plug in every single week. But in best ball and in these big underdog tournaments where the spike weeks are so important, you could still get that random 120-yard two-touchdown game from Mike Williams. But after we just talked about how bad we are at projecting floor and ceiling, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Mike Williams does not have a safe floor whatsoever. He doesn't draw the targets at that rate that make him a safe option. So he is, as cliche as it sounds, one of those guys that is much more valuable in best ball than he is in your standard fantasy football league. Now let's go ahead and talk about some running backs. And the first situation I want to talk about is James Cook and Damian Harris getting drafted as RB30 and RB38 on underdog fantasy right now. JJ. Considering those ADPs, which running back do you prefer? Oh, man. I mean, I don't feel amazing about either of these guys this season, just given the situation, given the fact that they have a mobile quarterback in Josh Allen. We know they're going to be more pass-heavy. You know, the touchdowns are probably going to skew more uh, towards the air than on the ground, all that good stuff. Um, you know, it's very obvious as to what these two backs sort of could bring to the table hypothetically. Like Damian Harris probably going to play a very similar role that he played in New England, be that early down grinder, be the goal line guy, right? James Cook probably be the pass catcher. You know, he didn't see the kind of volume that we thought he would through the air last season, but as a prospect, that's really what he did well. Uh, you know, he's, he's a smaller guy too, so he's probably not going to be this like, you know, 200 plus touch grinder uh, on early downs. Um, you know, I think if you're looking at this from like a best ball perspective, it's a lot easier to get a guy like Damian Harris. I think Damian Harris is more, and I've, I mean, to be fair, I've said this for many, many years with with regards to Damian Harris and, you know, it bit me the one year where he scored a ton of touchdowns. But, uh, you know, I, to me, Damian Harris is just someone that I generally avoid drafting, especially in the middle rounds. I, I've, you know, I talked about uh, ADP expectation uh, before. Uh, and, and basically, you know, I look at a trend line and it shows me how many points we'd expect a player to score based on his ADP. Um, and, and then I look at how many guys exceed that ADP by three or more points in a season per game, and then six or more points per season, uh, per game, uh, across the season. And if you look at, and if you bucket these middle round running backs by target share, 
and you look at 0% to 5%, 5% to 10%, and 10% or more, only 4.3% of the running backs with a 0% to 5% target share per game uh, in the middle rounds have exceeded expectation by three or more points per game since 2011. Now, to give you context, that 4.3% number for the guys that had 5 to 10% of target shares, that number is 23%. And then the guys who had over 10%, that number is 51%. So you're seeing a lot better hit rates for guys who are seeing volume through the air. And I think that we have a large enough sample. And I mean, if you just look at the types of players these guys are too, I think we have a large enough sample to say that Damian Harris isn't going to be like an 8 or 9 or 10% uh, target share type player. So simply from that perspective, I'm going to lean James Cook. But this is not a backfield that I'm going to be super, super intrigued with, uh, just given what we've seen you know, with Josh Allen since he's really broken out. Yeah, and then you also talk about that target share, you know, sub 5%, just 4.3%. I would be willing to bet that every single person in that 4.3% sample probably had double-digit touchdowns because that's right. the only way you're paying off without the receptions. Right. Exactly. So if you're drafting Damian Harris at this current ADP, you're hoping that he gets all of the goal line work there, that Josh Allen stops running at the goal line, and that Damian Harris somehow stumbles into the end zone double-digit times, which it's possible, but it's also a bet that is kind of shaky if that's what you're hoping for. Touchdowns yeah. are fluky and tough to predict. So, Alfredo, same over to you, James Cook or Damian Harris at ADP. Yeah, don't I don't feel too strongly about either of these guys, and I haven't really been targeting them all that much. I think in best ball, I have been targeting Damian Harris a bit more. Um, and we're going to talk about some other running backs that get drafted later that I like better than these guys. But if you know, it's purely in a vacuum here between these two, I actually think I am going Damian Harris. I mean, I want to like James Cook. He was good when he got the opportunity, and he had very good you know yards per carry, and he looked explosive when he was out there. But he really only surpassed 12 touches once last year. Yep. And, you know, how many times do we, at the same time, you know, we talk about guys like Damian Harris and we trick ourselves into thinking they're going to produce touchdowns. But we also do the same thing with these receiving backs where we we trick ourselves into thinking that they're going to get the workload. And so it kind of works both ways. And I almost found myself getting to a point where it's like, all right, well, what would I rather bet on if I have to look at the Bills offense, that they're going to score a bunch of touchdowns and Damian Harris kind of just falls in there? Or that Josh Allen all of a sudden becomes a guy who's going to hyper-target the running back and James Cook is going to get a lot more touches and so I, that's where I sort of leaned a bit more towards Damian Harris and um, you know even if he gets hurt I don't see the, the the bills relying on James Cook to become some sort of you know bell cow running back at just 190 pounds so it's just like I don't really find a scenario where James Cook really pays off and becomes uh, you know a, a really productive running back I go back and look at um, at what even Devin Singletary was able to do in 2021 870 rushing yards, 40 receptions, eight total touchdowns. He just barely got to RB 24, right? And so we're, that's that's some pretty lofty projections, I would think, given all the weapons in this offense for a guy like James Cook to even reach RB2 status. So um, I, I'm not super in on James Cook. I'm not really in on Damian Harris either, but I like the price tag a little bit better. And it's round 10 when we're drafting a guy like Damian Harris. So, you know, if, if we're going to talk about a guy who has surpassed that cost before and, you know, Touchdowns are fluky. I totally get that. They're slightly less fluky in a good offense, right? They're, they're just more likely to score. Um, and, and, you know, if I'm just going to be swinging for the fences in round 10 on running backs, then then sure, I'll, I'll go Damian Harris at that point. But, uh, you know, just to give you the professional tease, Dave, there's some running backs we're going to talk about later that I like a little bit better than uh, Damian Harris in round 10. Completely agree. And, and James Cook, I mean, I don't want to use the term 
fool's gold, but that's kind of what James Cook feels like to me. Like, we see this all the time with these undersized young guys that have great rushing yards over expectation and breakaway run rate, but he just doesn't have the side to take on a significant workload, or the size to take on a significant workload this year. So I think that he kind of stays in a similar role to what we saw last year, you know, rarely eclipsing double-digit touchdowns in a single game. And then especially once you consider cost, I'm also with you, Alfredo, on Damian Harris being the preferred guy here. Both are extremely dangerous and have very low floors, but given how late you're drafting them, it's not going to completely kill your team if they don't pan out for you. Hopefully you got some other running backs that you're drafting behind them that could pay off if they don't, which brings me to the next team I want to talk about, the New Orleans Saints, and all of these guys are getting drafted after James Cook. Alvin Kamara obviously has the suspension, which is what's pushing him down, but we could also talk about the fact that he's seen some winning efficiency over the last few years and that Dennis Allen just seems to hate him for some reason and doesn't give him touches when he should. So Alvin Kamara getting drafted at RB31, Jamal Williams getting drafted at RB42, last year's probably the closest thing we saw to a league winner, and then Kendra Miller, the rookie, getting drafted dead last out of all of them at RB44. Alfredo, start us off here. Between this bunch, Kamara, Jamal Williams, and Kendra Miller, who do you prefer? I'm going to do this like the SATs, and I'm just going to start with which answer I'm not picking, and that'll be Jamal Williams. Uh, so I'll first I'll eliminate Jamal Williams. I have no interest in him there. And I'm going to sound a little bit like I'm flip-flopping because uh, I'm going to say some very opposite things that I said about James Cook. But here I'm going to say about Alvin Kamara. Um, I don't want to put too much stock into what happened last season with the Saints. You know, Dennis Allen taking over as a first time, not first time head coach, but first season uh, with the Saints. And uh, Andy Dalton under center kind of threw things for a loop. And you end up with a lot of the, like, the weird Taysom Hill experiments once again, which I'm sure won't be done. But what really hurt Alvin Kamara last season was the touchdown regression. It was a lack of touchdowns in a bad offense. He had four total touchdowns that season, and the targets out of the backfield were down. Normally for his career, he's looking at six and a half targets per game. Last year, it was around five flat. So, you know, when you're taking nearly two targets per game away from such an explosive player... Yeah, the production's going to go down. Now, Dave, you're totally right. He wasn't getting as many touches as he normally did. He was not nearly as efficient. Um, And yeah, we have the suspension looming. We actually still don't know what's going to happen with that. But what I kind of like is that's gotten baked into the cost here, right? RB31. But, you know, there's something that I think Derek Carr is not a sexy quarterback. Like, he's not someone that anybody gets excited about, right? But I think he's actually going to be pretty helpful for this offense. Like any anyone is probably going to be a little bit better than Andy Dalton. I think he's going to help Chris Olave a bit. But Derek Carr, the thing is, that he throws to his running backs. Last season, he was near an 18% running back target rate, which is in the upper half of the league. It wasn't amazing. But in 2021, he targeted running back at a 23% rate. So this is a guy, he's done this throughout his career. Now he's not some sort of savior that's going to change the offense entirely. But I think what it's going to do is just make the offense a little bit more stable. Um, and, and I know, once again, I mentioned the suspension, but... Look back at what DeAndre Hopkins did, and I think a lot of us were, obviously it's apples to oranges, so don't kill me in the comments, but I think a lot of people were really scared about the DeAndre Hopkins suspension last year, and then when he came back on a points-per-game basis, he was the wide receiver nine. And it was, it was, it almost felt like a mirror image of this, right? Where we're talking about, ah, but they just added Marquise Brown and all there's Rondale Moore and uh, Greg Dortz just came out of nowhere. Right. And then it didn't matter because even Kyler got hurt and DeAndre Hopkins is still commanding targets. So uh, it could be just one of those things where a player is still very talented. The quarterback still wants to look their way. Um, Man, this is a tough one. I'm still a bit more inclined to lean towards Alvin Kamara, especially at his cost. Uh, Even with his worst statistical season last year, he was the RB15 in points per game. Um, I'm fine with pairing Alvin Kamara and Kendra Miller if you you can. I actually really love Kendra Miller, Dave. You know that. Um, I still sort of view him as maybe a next-year guy, like probably one of those, you know, we say better in best ball, better in dynasty, right? Like that's where I'm sort of leaning with Kendra Miller. Um, So yeah, if I have to, I'm going Alvin Kamara still. 
Yeah, this is a really crowded backfield, and this is one that I'm really struggling to get a read on. So before I input anything here, JJ, I'm just going to throw it to you. Who do you prefer out of these Saints running backs? Yeah, so I, I agree a lot with Alfredo there. You know, Jamal Williams has never really been a special running back before last year. And, you know, last year he was great. And I, I mean, he's obviously an amazing human, and I, I hope that he destroys because he's awesome. But, uh, you know, last year he still had a sub-3% target share in that offense. Like, it's not like he was – he's never been a big pass catcher. He got by on touchdowns last year, and we all know that, right? Uh, I don't know if that opportunity is going to be near the same – in this offense with Taysom Hill, uh, you know, and they might use Kendra Miller, who's a bigger bodied guy too. I agree though with Miller and with your assessment on Miller, he might be more of a next year guy. Uh, I don't mind throwing darts at him because RB44 is a, a decent price tag. Um, but, you know, Miller was number one. He's, he's entering the league very young. I think that he was the second youngest uh, prospect in this year's class behind only uh, Izzy Abanacanda. Um, and so uh, he's a younger back, doesn't have that total experience. And he was never that big of a pass catcher in college, right? So he has to work on that a little bit. And I, I saw reports that they were working with him on that already this offseason. And so uh, if you look at the, this bunch, uh, Alvin Kamara is clearly, clearly the best pass catcher in this group right now today, right? Uh, the only reason why we're not going to be more bullish on him is because of this uh, th this question mark with the with the suspension. But, uh, I, you know, everything that you said, Alfredo, really points to last year's offense just being bad and not being, uh, you know, as effective as we would want it to be for a running back. You know, you talked about his, his uh, raw targets and, and his, his raw uh, volume in that offense. Uh, but if you look at his shares, they actually weren't that bad. He had an 18% target share per game rate, which is incredibly good for a running back. He actually had his second highest rush share per game uh, of his entire career last year. So from a percentage standpoint, it was there. It's just that the offense was so bad. So to your point about them adding Derek Carr, things are going to look a lot better. And hopefully that then turns this production around a little bit for a guy like Kamara. The other thing too, from an efficiency standpoint, uh, his yards per carry was actually 0.43 yards better than every other running back on that team last year. So, uh, you know, he, he was not, I don't think he was nearly as bad as people probably think, uh, you know, in 2022. Um, this really comes down to the potential suspension. So I think that if you're getting Camara, which is fine, uh, I would not rely on, you know, if I'm going with like a hero RB or a zero RB build, he would not be necessarily one of my targets. But if you go, you know, with a, a two running backs in the first three rounds and he's your RB3, I think that's fine uh, to, to go that route. Um, and so, you know, I think that's fine to, to do. And then, uh, you know, a lot of my research with the market has said, you know, these, these later round rookie running backs, they tend to do a lot better during the second half of the season, just like these, these rookie, uh, wide receivers do. Um, and so, uh, Kendrick Miller, from that perspective, probably not a bad dart. I would rather have Kendrick Miller than Jamal Williams though. I just think that there's a little bit more upside there with the player himself. Uh, cause he was a great prospect and Jamal Williams just like, he's fine, but he's never been this, this stud running back. Yeah, and I think we're all kind of out on Jamal Williams, and I think the people still drafting him are trying to recapture that magic that we saw last year where he stumbled into the red zone, or into the end zone, what was it, 15 or 18 times, led the league in touches inside the five-yard line. We're not going to see that again in New Orleans. So I think we're all in agreement that Jamal Williams is a guy that you don't want here. So much of this just comes down to Alvin Kamara and his suspension, but the kind of worst-case scenario is if you draft Kendra Miller is that Alvin Kamara does get suspended early in the season because then he gets some nice weeks early on, and then he gets thrown to the back burner after week eight when you really need him the most. So keep paying attention to that. I'm going to plug our friend Drew over at Football Guys, who always puts out great legal advice for these uh, tough-to-read fantasy football situations. Be sure to check that out. Now let's look at the Miami Dolphins backfield, and Alfredo, 
try not to be emotional here. This is a tough one, but we're looking at another rookie, and this one is flip-flopped, where in New Orleans, the rookie is the last one getting drafted. Here, Devon Eshane is getting drafted at RB39, before Rocky Mostert at RB51, and before Jeff Wilson at RB57 getting pushed way down the board here. Who do you prefer out of this bunch? And please don't say Dalvin Cook. <laughs> I mean, so... <laughs> No, Dalvin Cook is a possibility, but no, I won't <laughs> say that. Uh, honestly, man, like even as a Dolphins fan, like I have no extra insight on this. So none of us have any idea which running back is going to be getting the lion's share of the touches here. And uh, frankly, I'm only drafting these guys in best ball, and it tends to be those older guys with the later ADPs, Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. Uh, to simply, he doesn't target the running back position almost at all. It's one of the lowest target rates in the league in 2022. It wasn't great in 2021 either. You know, people have drafted. Miles Gaskin that were expecting the breakout, they they felt that in a big way. And then even you can't even say like, oh, well, maybe guys are going to fall in the end zone. The running back splits in terms of, of touchdowns were so even. There was 10 running back touchdowns this year. It was 3, 3, 2, 1, 1. Like you have no idea who is going to score. Um, so there's very little hope for goal line upside there. And, and yes, Dave, I have to. Like I have to say Dalvin Cook, like if he does show up, that that even that throws a further wrench in there. And I don't even think that he's all that valuable when he, if he ends up in Miami because of how many running backs are there and this multi-running back approach that Mike McDaniels takes. Um, I think Devon A-Chain is going to make some splash plays. Like he's just too talented to not be on the field and he's going to command some work. Uh, and you know, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, they have had their problems throughout their career with injuries, right? We can't, pre- we can't predict that, but you know, it's likely they may miss a, a couple games here and there. Uh, but I just don't think there's a way that Devon A-Chain pays off his sort of, let's call it RB3 draft price right now. I think we're all just, you know, we've got stars in our eyes looking at a really fast, explosive rookie on a fun Miami Dolphins offense. In reality, what I'm doing is I'm looking at a guy like Jeff Wilson in the 16th round and saying he's basically free. And there's very few running backs or players at at all in that area of drafts that present the same sort of upside that I can start a couple weeks at running back. So, yeah, I'll take him with one of my last picks in my draft. And that's more so where I lean when I'm looking at the Dolphins uh, running back situation. So this is kind of similar to what we just talked about with the Saints, where I, I'm it's the middle guy, like Jamal Williams. This one's Rahi Mostert, and I just don't want Rahi Mostert at cost, but I like a Shane, and I like Jeff Wilson Jr. The big thing for Jeff Wilson Jr. is they had Rahi Mostert early in the year. They are giving him the lion's share of the touches after they realized that Chase Edmonds wasn't going to be the guy. And even still, a few weeks after Rahi Mostert secured that lead role, they went out and they brought in Jeff Wilson Jr. And then this offseason, when they were both free agents, they extended Jeff Wilson Jr. with a bigger, more expensive contract, all indications to me are that the team prefers Jeff Wilson Jr. to Rahi Mostert, so I'm not sure why drafters prefer Mostert to Wilson. And again, we're splitting hairs. I mean, a 15th and a 16th round pick. It's not like there's a huge canyon between these guys, but that's one that I'm really struggling to wrap my mind around. JJ, what are your insights into this Miami backfield? Yeah, so I actually think you can throw darts at, at each of these guys. I'd probably say that I am drafting more A-Chain than Wilson than Mostert right now. Um, and, you know, I'm not doing that with the expectation that A-Chain is going to be a bell cow back. I don't think that that's reasonable given the size profile, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that A-Chain fits this offense brilliantly well. Um, you know, I, I the, the, the zone scheme is going to be very, very good. Uh, for his efficiency and production. Um, and, you know, Alfredo mentioned that, that Tua hasn't been someone to check down very often. I actually did a study uh, that sort of piggybacked off of something that Ben Gretsch uh, had been doing uh, in the fantasy space on, on RPOs. And Miami runs a lot of RPOs. That offense is very RPO heavy. Um, and technically, like when you think of that logically, 
Um, and there is some correlation between uh, uh, teams that run a lot of RPOs and those teams having lower running back target shares, which makes sense because when you're running an RPO, how often are you seeing those guys actually, when they do throw the ball, they're throwing it to their first read at wide receiver, which is why we see such high target shares for Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, aside from their talent. Uh, they're not they're not dropping back then and throwing to the running back. It's just a very difficult and awkward thing to do. Um, and so that's why we see the lower target shares, I think, within the Miami offense. With that being said, you know, this is an offense that, uh, will throw the ball a lot. Uh, so they're going to have a high number of pass attempts. And so even if there's a little bit of a dip in target share, uh, you know, it's going to be on a lot of attempts. So hopefully, you know, you cross your fingers and hope that even if they have a 17%, 16% target share to running backs or something like that, that's on a lot of attempts. Now, I'll also say, going back to the market-related stuff that I talked about, uh, there's definitely a lot of signal when you can find uh, a group of running backs going this late without any sort of teammate going in the middle or the early rounds. Mm -hmm. And, and, and those running backs then really exceeding ADP expectations. So the two backfields this year that look like that are Miami and Chicago. And I would say the difference between Miami and Chicago is that you don't have a mobile quarterback who, again, they're going to run a decent amount of RPOs as well. So Chicago's going to have fewer targets, a, few, a lower target share, if you will. But they're going to have far less passing volume than what you're going to see in Miami. And I'm mentioning all this passing volume because you want targets at, at running back. They're more valuable than, than rush attempts are. So to me, I think A-Chain's one of those players where, you know, he could see 10 to 12 touches a game uh, and maybe catch a, a couple passes and maybe have those random spiked weeks. I don't think his RB39 price tag is something where, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at him being so significantly better across the entire season. Uh, but I do think that he's going to at least provide something given the efficiency and given the fact that I, I do think he's the most talented running back on that roster right now. Um, so, you know, that's easy to buy into, uh, into too. And yeah, he's the most expensive of the three, but it's not like he's that expensive. It's not like the opportunity cost to get a chain is so dramatic. So um, I'm not like like jumping for joy drafting any of these guys right now because obviously the situation's ambiguous. But I do think it's important to note that these are the backfields in the later rounds where you do find at times uh, guys break free and, and become something pretty significant. And that's a perfect segue to the next backfield that I want to talk about. You already mentioned the Chicago Bears being the other one where there isn't a clear-cut guy. So all three of these guys are potentially suppressed in value. And it's kind of funny when you look at the ADPs, they correlate very similarly to the guys in Miami. You got Devin and Shane and Khalil Herbert getting drafted very close to each other. You got Raheem Mostert and Roshan Johnson getting drafted closely to each other. And then Jeff Wilson Jr. and Deonta Foreman. So, JJ, if you could start us off, since you're already on a roll talking about these three-headed committees here, Khalil Herbert at RB40, Roshan Johnson at RB40, 47 and Deonta Foreman at RB 52. Do you like any of these guys? I mean, it's, it's a tough backfield to get a read on. So who do you prefer? Yeah, look, you know, I, I think that any answer is like, yeah, you can make an argument for any player in a best ball format. Like it's not, it's not difficult, especially in like in a, in a tournament format where like, like anyone seeing any kind of volume could do very well from weeks 15 to 17. Like it, it, it can happen. Right. Um, so I look at this more from like a managed season long perspective, right. Where you're actually having to make choices going into each week and a backfield like this just screams that it's going to be very, very difficult to know which running back is going to, is going to really perform. Now, I think Khalil Herbert is very, very talented as a runner, uh, but there are issues uh, with pass blocking and him being a receiving back, and that's that's a huge problem. Then you look at Deontay Foreman. He doesn't have that much of a history as a receiver either. Uh, and then you look at Roshan Johnson, who is a great pass blocking back coming out of, of Texas, playing behind Bijan, uh, and he can catch passes out of the backfield. He's sort of the more prototypical three-down back. So I think just from that perspective, you know, hoping that, 
Uh, Chicago ends up targeting their running backs more than we expect. You know, in, in this kind of scenario, you just think outside the box a little bit, and you have to say to yourself, okay, well, what if Chicago does make that leap forward? They are a lot more pass-heavy than we're projecting, and they end up targeting their running backs more than we expect. In that scenario, we would probably all say we would like Roshan Johnson most because he's probably going to play more of that pass-catching role in the offense. And Now, if it's a scenario where they run an offense very similar to last season, I think you're just going to see more of a split between Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman, and it's going to be a pain in the butt. Uh, I do think Herbert's the most talented back on the ground of those three, so that sort of environment and scenario would favor him most. Um, but I think of these two backfields that we just talked about with Miami and Chicago, I'm much more inclined to attack Miami than I am Chicago because there's a lot up in the air, and I just don't know if the the passing ceiling is going to really be there for these guys to, 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 to really, really thrive. And then obviously when they're close to the goal line, that's also Justin Fields' territory. Right. And Jeff Bell wrote a great article about this a few years ago, and we actually talked about it a couple of weeks ago on this show. But he talked about how it's the uh, the death of the vulture running back. You know, we're used to Mike Tolbert and those guys coming in at the goal line. We don't see that hyper-specialized goal line running back anymore. But now we see all these Konami code quarterbacks like Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts and now Justin Fields, who takes so many of those high-value touches away. They're not checking down a running backs. So they're just putting their head down and running the ball. And when they get near the goal line, instead of turning around and putting it in their running back's belly, they're just going to run it in themselves. So that really limits the ceiling for a lot of the running backs here. So agree with everything you said. And Alfredo, you and I are both big Khalil Herbert fans. We've been talking about this guy for years, but kind of a tough pill to swallow here. All the sexy numbers, you know, breakaway run rate, rushing yards over expectation, mixed ta- missed tackle, juke rate, all that fun stuff. He exceeds in those uh, those metrics, but he was also drafted by a completely different staff, you know, before Ryan Poles came in. That's when he was drafted. And for whatever reason, this new staff, probably due to his pass blocking, just doesn't want to trust him with a big role. And that's why they signed Deontay Foreman. That's why they spent a fourth-round pick on Roshan Johnson. So as much as we look at the numbers that are exciting, at the end of the day, he needs to get touches, and he might not be given those in Chicago. So... You know, you've, you've been talking for years, Alfredo, about Khalil Herbert. You really like this guy. He's the most expensive of the bunch. At ADP, do you still prefer him over Roshan Johnson or Deonta Foreman? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I do. And, um, you know, I'm Dave, I'm still firmly in the conductor seat of the Khalil Herbert hype train, man. Like, it, it's... At this point, it's hard to get off, especially from how good he was when he was on the field last year. And I get it. He doesn't do all the sexy things. And there's always, always the narrative about the pass blocking. And I'll get more into that later. But I think the the big fear from the macro level and looking at it is just simply the committee approach, right? Well, we kind of already saw that. Like, we saw what happened last year when he was in a a two-back committee with David Montgomery. And uh, I don't think I'm going all that out of my way here to say David Montgomery is better than these other running backs that are on the roster now. Obviously, now you're splitting something three ways. But, you know, even in a committee with Montgomery, just looking at Khalil Herbert outproducing him in the first 10 weeks of the season, being the RB 23, even in PPR where he doesn't catch a lot of passes. Then he got injured and things kind of, kind of went off the rails. But uh, you know, the whole thing about the pass blocking, right? I think this is something that whenever we find a player, we, we, I mean, we instantly want to find like, what are their warts, right? Like what could stop them from being really, really good. And 
you know, initially you look at, okay, well, why didn't Khalil Herbert catch a bunch of passes in college? Oh, he's not a good pass blocker. Okay. And we think that stuff like that is going to continue to follow them throughout the league. But, you know, we also have to understand, like, players can get better at things, right? It's not like Khalil Herbert's going to go his entire career just not get better at pass blocking. Uh, last year, he actually, he was charted as number 29 out of 60 qualifying running backs on pro football focus in pass blocking. He wasn't that bad. He was actually right in the middle, right by guys like Kareem Hunt, who is considered to be a receiving back, and, you know, Raheem Mostert and well ahead of a bunch of guys like Aaron Jones, Christian McCaffrey, like running backs that we all love in the receiving game. So I don't necessarily think that we look at this and say, well, he's not a great pass blocker. So he's just going to come off the field. Um, It it is going to be difficult to to decide. Right. Um, But what I will say is this is the talent I believe kind of sits with Khalil Herbert over all of these guys. Deontay Foreman was actually one of the worst pass blocking running backs in the league last year. So, you know, he's not coming in for that. So Roshan Johnson, yeah, they draft him to do that. Okay. I, I really, I, I want to, I want to find where the, the and I, I haven't done this study, right? But maybe JJ knows, maybe there's a correlation between pass blocking and consistent pass blocking to fantasy production. Right. And I don't know that we've always seen that. Maybe I haven't heard or seen that study yet. Uh, JJ, have, have you seen anything like that? Am I just kind of like talking out of my butt no, right now? No, the, 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 you're, you're bringing up a really interesting point though, because I've always had a really hard time with the pass blocking thing. Like, I think that the reason, the reason I brought it up with Khalil Herbert is because even if the, the narrative is there, it seems like the bears, the, the their, their choice in Roshan Johnson was at least semi driven by right. the narrative, right? Even if it's, even if it's not as true as what's out there, right? But the, the problem with the whole pass blocking thing and 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 guys getting uh, receptions and, and you know targets on the field is when when third down backs are out there, they're actually not pass blocking nearly as much as people think because they're out running routes and they're trying to catch yeah. passes. So it's sort of this really weird uh, paradox that people uh, bring up all the time. And so I, I agree with you from all that perspective. My thing is more so from the team perspective, how the team might view them and and then the competition from that perspective with a, with a guy like Roshan Johnson, who for all intents and purposes, you know, entered the league uh, this, this class was, was arguably the best pass blocker, you know, within the class. And so um, that's my fear with him, but I agree with you. Like, I, I think Khalil Herbert, all of his metrics, all of his rushing numbers by far uh, look like the best on this team. And I, I like him far, far more than a guy like Deontay Foreman. And, and I think that's the thing he's trying to, read the tea leaves here a little bit because like I said you know it wasn't this staff that drafted Khalil Herbert and then it seems like it was very intentional to go out and draft a guy who his best traits just so happen to be Khalil Herbert's worst traits so it seems like there could be you know a symbiotic relationship for both of them we might just see Roshan Johnson coming in for pass blocking duties but this is a tough one to get a read on and you know we're talking about all these teams if you were tuning into this show hoping for us to say this is the guy that you definitively need to draft in these situations you're not going to get that because a lot of these are very ambiguous and muddy situations but we did our best today to try to explain how we feel about these players and hopefully give you the information you need to make an informed and good decision when you're on the clock in your fantasy drafts one more time just want to thank you guys for coming on today before we sign off though jj let everyone know where they can find you patreon twitter instagram youtube whatever you want to plug the floor is yours yeah, you can uh, check out all my work over on LateRound.com. I got the draft guide coming out next week. I'm very pumped about that. Patreon, podcast, free newsletter, and then I'm on Twitter at LateRoundQB. Yeah, one of the best follows on Twitter. Cannot wait for your in-season data dumps. I look forward to those. Uh, they come out Sunday nights, right? Yes, yes, I tried to at least, yeah. Yeah, so definitely check those out at LateRoundQB, one of the best follows in the industry. And then Alfredo, one more time, let everyone know where they can find you. 
Yeah, I won't make my usual MySpace joke about finding me there, but uh, you can find all my work here at Football Guys. Uh, you know, you're usually going to see my face or Dave's face all over our YouTube channel. I've got my show, The Pretend GM, that, that airs weekly, and then you can find me on Twitter at The Pretend GM. Yeah, and if you're not finding Alfredo on the launch pad, you're probably going to find me on the Pretend GM. We've been doing a lot together this offseason. Always a blast chopping it up with you, buddy. But you can find me on Twitter at Dave Kalugi. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next week. 